Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach. John John and Nathan Florence have both been using Whoop for over three years now to balance their training both in and out of the water. Now, Whoop is introducing the all-new Whoop 4.0, the latest, most advanced fitness wearable on the market. Monitor your recovery, sleep, training and health, personalized recommendations, and coaching feedback with Whoop. Train smarter, recover faster, sleep better, and now feel healthy with Whoop. The all-new 4.0 is smaller, smarter, and designed with new biometric tracking, including skin temperature, blood oxygen, and more. The device also features an all-new smart alarm, designed to wake you up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Plus, it was designed with their Anywhere technology, so you can wear it with their Whoop body sensor-enhanced technical garments. The all-new Health Monitor dashboard gives you a big-picture look at your overall health. Monitor key metrics like heart rate, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, skin temperature, and blood oxygen levels. Plus, see improvements in irregularities and vital signs over time. You can even export 30-day health trends to share with your coach, trainer, PT, PCP, or physician. The all-new waterproof device is free when you sign up for a Whoop 4.0 membership. For any members, if you have six months left of your membership on your account, you can upgrade now and get the 4.0 for free. And right now, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code BEACHGRIT at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter B-E-A-C-H-G-R-I-T at checkout to save 15%. Hello and welcome to Dirty Water, episode number 49. More fun, we hope, than a milking machine and dedicated to Falosh, the god of mediocrity. Today's guest is described by beach grip writer Steve Rees as the most famous surf shop owner in the world and part animal, part machine, part idiot. While other surf shop owners obsequiously lick the boots of the clothing mages, for this is where the cash is, our guest sticks to his Buell wetsuits and custom boards. If you don't know where his little surf shop is in Newport, Rhode Island, well, good luck finding it. You don't have a website. He is 70 years old, still rides a 6'1", and he's a skilled persuader, for he knows how to worm his way into a tired heart. Today's guest, Mr. Sina Brutzi. How are you, mate? It's an honor to be on Dirty Water. I love you guys. Hey, Chaz. Hey, Derek. How's everybody doing? Good to see you. So good to see you, Sid. Thank you. Likewise. Well, we're we're getting into... uh, November here in good old Rhode Island. And uh, it's time for the chilly season. I went surfing this morning, actually. How cold was the water? The water for this time of year isn't that bad. I think it's 58, 60, 58. But um, another month from now will be 10 degrees colder. And then we'll get down to 38 to 45. (laughs) <laughs> Derek what's the coldest you surf I think um, a little, uh, little converting Fahrenheit to um, fucking the other thing Celsius Fahrenheit to Celsius and I'll tell you so what's it 58 there at the moment is it is this it what's that that's 58 degrees in uh, Rhode Island at the moment huh? yeah 58 is relatively warm okay so that's 14 degrees that's really fucking cold like in winter in Sydney, I guess it's sort of 16, which is, uh, let me have a look at my little converter here, 60. So 60 is the coldest it gets in Sydney. But when I lived in France, it got down to about 50. Yeah. Well, that's, that's still that's torturous. That's still dreamy water here, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's on the rock sometimes when you're going out. You, you know, there's full ice on the rocks. And a couple times, if the waves have been flat for like a couple of weeks, ice will float in and cover the point, just like a like a like a like a slush. Have you surfed the slushy? <laughs> um, you know what? When there's the slush, you just see this little hump come underneath it, like a little two foot bump. And I've surfed outside but it's the slush is generally just in the first foot of the water 
or the slush goes out 100 yards if there's no waves. But if there's any type of waves, it just gets banged right up on the beach. How, how great is the local surf community there? I mean, is it, is it like the, are you guys all friends, know each other? Is it, yeah, it, is it a tight-knit community? How is it? Well, I think, I don't know what it is, but I think, you know, reports from the underground all around the world are saying the same thing. Who are these new people? Where did they come from? And I describe them as they're good enough to get in the way. <laughs> I mean, there's all these 20 to 25 to 40 year olds that I've never seen before that are in this town before the sun comes up every time there's a wayside surf report. And they're all coming from the cities everywhere, from Boston, Massachusetts, Connecticut. Um, the hardcore local guys, it changes generation to generation. Like my guys that I looked up to in the 60s, I graduated from high school in 69. And uh, my guys that I looked up to pretty much stopped surfing around 69, 70. And all of a sudden we were left in charge. We had the shortboard revolution. We were the guys. And it was our, you know, we we controlled the points. We knew the out of town guys all had nicknames, whether it was like Boston Benny, Marshfield Mike. You knew everybody who came from a different part of town to surf your break. It was kind of, and the only time you surfed is with people that you went surfing with, if you travel to some point breaks, it's completely different now. There's hundreds of people in the lineup. Not necessarily our points, but our beach is overrun. Is it true that in the 70s you had a boy and then um, people who could surf stayed on one side of the boy and then the kook stayed on the other? Yeah, like a divider. Yeah, divider. Yeah, they had, that was in the 60s. Like when I first started surfing, it was like the Gidget era, you know, the all those movies, you know what I mean? And everybody, all everybody had a longboard on their car. And I it was so crazy that the lifeguards saw what was going on out in the water and they had a, a, a buoy line, like a swim line that went out about a hundred yards and they, you paddled out. And if you got up and rode a wave, I can't even remember, you stayed on one side. And if you were a kook, you went on the other side. <laughs> we can make the boy line, huh? They called it, I guess it was a dividing line. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild that you're talking about surfing in 1969, but you look, um, you look fabulous. How do you, um, what's the secret to, um, Aging gracefully or not aging at all? Uh, I guess it's genes. It's my mother. All the Italians are passed away. All my Italians are dead. Um, my dad was full Italian. Grandparents bought it, born in Italy. I mean, parents born in Italy. My mom was full Irish. Um all the Italians died in their 60s. I outlived my dad. My dad died when I was 28. And my mom lived to 96. And all her brothers and sisters lived to 90s. So I'm at 70 right now. I'm figuring I'm sort of in the middle of all this. Fuck, you look good at 70. Yeah. That's looking 70 year old on earth, I reckon. Pardon me? You're the best looking 70 year old on earth. Thank you. I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel now that now that, I mean, Eddie Clinton. Oh, Eddie, Eddie who? Who is that? Did you say Rothman? I said Clint Eastwood. Oh, Clint Eastwood. He's a good looking 110 year old. How old yeah. did uh, Paul Newman get to? He was old. He was 80s, huh? Paul Newman was good till the end. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get yeah. on famous people who are seventy, famous <laughs> who are seventy. Hang on a second, Audrey Hotters. What celebrity is seventy years old? 
Peter Gabriel, Jay Leno, Jay Leno, seventy, but he looks shit. Yeah. Um, Jay Leno, Derek pronounces it. Jay Leno lives in Newport now. Oh, are you bros with Jay Leno? You guys, when you come and visit me, we'll go over and. Well, I never knocked on Jay Leno. Bought a huge mansion in Newport. Going over, okay. That's that's Rhode Island. Of course he did. That's worth enough to go hang out with Jay Leno and Sid Bruz. I mean, Sid Bruzzi would be the better man. Chaz, there's this really billionaire guy that came to Newport, and he opened up this insane auto auto museum. And that's one of the things I'm sure that attracted Leno here. And they do this incredible car show. Um, this year was in September. And uh, people from all over the world come to it. And there's thousands of the best cars in the world, like in all the estates and everything. It's, it's unique. What's, what do you drive, Sid? I drive a 2005 Ford E-150 black van that I bought, I use flex tape to fix it up. <laughs> I bought that flex tape. I, 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 in fact, I just went through a roll of flex tape the other day, fixing all the rust spots. <laughs> I bought it new uh, for like 19,000 and I've had it. It's got 160 on it and it's a 205. Oh yeah. That's pretty sexy. I but back, if I'm a seven-year-old, straight on it. Hey, see, like back, back to back to hot seventy-year-olds. Um, Tony Dan, Tony Dan's is seventy. That's good. He's hot, but not as hot as Sid. No, not as hot as Sid. Sting. I mean, Sid beats Sting all day, Sting every day. Sting. And there's someone. Oh, Lou Ferrino, the Incredible Hulk. He turned seventy this year too. It's better. See, that's, I, we should enter Sid in 70-year-old beauty men beauty contests. There should be okay. a 70 year old male beauty contest. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy Hilfiger. Sid's better. He's better. Robin Williams, dead, seven years. But, um, <laughs> better, than, better than Robin Williams. He did. Maybe it's from uh, selling surfboards. I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, it must be, but also this huge influx of surfers. Uh, are they coming to buy surfboards from you or do you see no, no there's no uptick in your business? No, no. We, Water Bros is Water Bros. We do not sell overseas boards. Um, this was the first year ever I sold soft tops this summer. Which soft top did you sell? Buell. Uh, <laughs> but they're, I mean, soft tops, there's a time and a place for a soft top, right? Have you ever ridden soft top? No. You know, I bought a nine footer thinking I could let my friends goop around on it. And I went out on it once and I realized you got to put wax on them things. And I had to learn <laughs> And it was like two foot chop. I mean, this is pretty bad. And for cruiser boards, I have like an eight foot stretch that he made me years ago. That's just awesome. And then I got a 710 Joey Thomas Twinser from Santa Cruz. And I love all Joey's stuff. I love your husky voice. What's that? I love you. I love you. Your hearing's a bit fucked, but I love your husky voice. <laughs> Thank you. You, you smoke darts? You know the darts? You want to know how I started selling surfboards? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I would buy, I started surfing when I was around 10. I played a lot of baseball. And we were buying boards from the local surf shops. And all of a sudden, I had to have the lightest and stuff, the Corky Carroll mini model, the super mini. Uh, going back before that, the Midget Farrelly uh, stringless. I love that. I had a nine, six before I even put the wax on it, the boards were cut down to seven foot. So my dad didn't know what I was doing, just going crazy on boards. And, uh, they had back in the day, they didn't have a pro tour. They had a three, a four, a, and so all the best surfers on the East coast went to about six or eight different stops 
up the coast. And they all, they all came to Newport, like Mike Tabling, Claude Cargin, uh, the Roland brothers from Jacksonville. All these guys are probably around, passed away or 75 or so now. And Joe Roland rode for Rick Surfboards out of somewhere in California, Hermosa area, I believe. And I wanted that board so bad. So I made some calls and they had a Rick dealer outlet in New Jersey. So I was uh, 17 and I borrowed my dad's car with three friends, drove down there. We pulled over at a rest area on the New Jersey uh, Garden State Parkway and there's thousands of hippies. And I'm thinking like, what are you guys doing? What's going on? And they're going, we're headed north to Woodstock. And on there, you're kidding me. So as I was going south to get a surfboard, everybody was heading up to Woodstock. So long story short, I grabbed the board. They gave me four boards to sell to come up two weeks later and collect the, collect the money, which I, they did. And I started selling Rick surfboards um, a month into it, maybe two months into it, the local heavy shop, he had, a, it was a dive shop in Connecticut and he had two surf shops in Rhode Island. I called up Rick to place my order and he said, we can't sell to you anymore, Sid. The guy, I mean, I was 17 years old and this guy buys 30 boards to shut me off and Rick did it. Rick, Rick signed the paper, they wouldn't sell to me if that guy bought 20 or 30 boards cash. So that was my first taste of getting squished like a fly. About two weeks later, the guy from uh, Rick calls me up and said he was moving up to Santa Cruz to work for Doug, uh, Tom Overland, who was in the Doug Howe factory and uh, that's how I started working in Santa Cruz from 1970 on. It's the uh, the like missing Woodstock. Do you yes. ever do you ever do you ever think? Thank goodness I miss Woodstock. Um, I wouldn't probably like to drive home. You know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like Skatopia that we went to in the Midwest. But that year in Newport a half a mile from my house, we have the Newport International Jazz and Folk Festivals, right? Yep. That year, you're not ready for this yet. That year, you're ready. one night, Led Zeppelin, one album out. Jethro Tull, this was, that was their only album out. Janis Joplin, um, Sly and the Hendrix. Family Stone. Hendrix played that year, yeah? They all played right in Newport. It was amazing. Did you miss that one as well? Right down the street. And my dad, my dad was a big athlete. So they gave him a cushy job to be security. And so he hired us to park cars. And the second Led Zeppelin hit the stage, oh, 10 years after play too. And the second Led State, Led, oh, Jeff Beck, with Rod Stewart, lead singer. Yes, the second, I'm serious. And the second Led Zeppelin hit the stage, the walls came tumbling down. And they there was a set of woods next to it. And they raided the festival field. And we just ripped off our orange parking vests and just joined the crowd. Holy so shit. that's my 69, eh? story. That's a good story, but um, 1969, there's so many things happened. There was the Civil War in Biafra, and there was the um, Apollo 11. Yeah. And uh, Stonewall. Graduated from high school. And Nixon. Nixon's elected president. Well, I'll tell you. So anyway, Vietnam was going in full swing, right? Yeah. So if you, if you weren't like in your second year of med school or something, you were gonna get drafted. So 
I decided well, I go to URI. I'm already selling surfboards, got stomped on like a fly, but I'm up back at them. And my heart wasn't into college. So I sat one October night in the, in the dormitory with 300 guys and they had the lottery system where they picked a birthday and a date on the calendar. And the story was like, say, July 2nd, number one, uh, August 12th, number whatever. My birthday was August 12th. I came up 321. That means I was scot-free from getting out of uh, Vietnam and getting drafted because they said the first 150 went right away. Like right away, draft notice this game. So I said to my dad, I said, hey, I'm really not into college right now. And he said, I understand. And uh, I had a baseball scholarship and he was a baseball coach. So it was kind of heavy. And he goes, no, man, you're into surfing now. And so I dropped out of college like right around this time in November, it lasted two months. And I ended up in Puerto Rico January 1970. No, no leashes back then. You didn't want to pick up an M16 and start killing some VC and some NBA? What are you, a coward? What's that? No, I don't know. I, maybe I was. That would have been, um, would have been hell fun. Just lighten yeah. up with <laughs> it was, it was, it was, that was one hell of a night though, sitting there watching uh, your number get picked out of a, on a black and white TV with 200 dudes, right? So if if your number would have got picked, you would have gone though, right? You had no like, or, or would you have run to Canada? What would what would your game been? You would have just gone. Well, I know a lot of guys. Well, what happened when I left Puerto Rico? I went to a friend of mine. Said I didn't want to go home. The guy said you got to go to Cocoa Beach, and Cocoa Beach was the hot spot. That's with Gary Parker, Mike Tabling. Claude Cardin, they all lived there. It was like uh, Greg Law, Jeff Crawford, all the East Coast stars. And I just walking down the street, I hooked up with one at Rich Stalick, great friend of mine. And he put me right in the middle of the pack of all those guys. And we served Sebastian and everything. You wouldn't believe what those guys did to get out of the draft. Uh, <laughs> you'd be sitting there at night rubber hand hammers banging their knee peanut butter placed in various locations on their body before the physical oh it's crazy what does what does the peanut butter do anybody What's that? what does the peanut butter do that stops you from getting drunk that that's another story yeah, tell somebody, us the story huh? just put yeah. some peanut butter somebody put some peanut butter in a certain area in their body and when they when they got the inspection uh the guys there what's this and i think the guy got out but what's that i was going to say is that because um the person with peanut butter in their ass is a potential homosexual yeah why wow. that was a rough time <laughs> so so sid um tell us about your movie the Sid Abruzzi story. Yeah, it uh, well, it's it's very fortunate these kids that uh, surf over in Little Compton. I surf with their dad, and uh, believe it or not, what a family! There's ten of them, seven brothers, and the brother-in-law makes eight, and they started Canine Films. Canine Brothers films. And um, they were freelancing um, all sorts of documentaries and stuff like that. And then they hooked up with Kevin James uh, during the pandemic. And uh, they write, they're, they're so talented. They wrote all this material and they did like 30 or 43 minute clips. And called the sound guy and everything like that. So they established themselves pretty well known in a hurry. 
The oldest is 38, the youngest is 21. I sold them all their first surfboards. Uh, they just finished the new Adam Sandler movie, uh, which sort of held up our production a little bit. And uh, it's starring Kevin James. It's a movie about the New Orleans Saints football coach, Sean Payton, when he got, they called it Bounty Gate. He was pay, playing, paying his players to hurt the guy. He got suspended from the NFL, went back and started teaching his, uh, uh, his kid the peewee football team. So it's a little kid movie, but those guys did it. $25 million Netflix movie. And now we're back to what I'm doing. Um, we have tons of uh, Super 8, High 8, and everything from Santa Cruz, Jeffrey's Bay, from here back in the 70s. And uh, we put it all digitally remastered on 4D at this really cool studio. Um, we have some interviews that run in Santa Cruz and Cocoa Beach, and uh, we hope to have it out um, uh, before next summer. And it's, a, I guess they call it a full feature doc, and it's called Water Brother. Oh, yeah. So this, this coming summer, you said, it'll be out. On, will it be like Netflix or just well, streaming? The way these guys are doing it right now, um, they're going to hit all the film festivals. And then they want to do an old school thing where we line up five or six beach cities around the country or other places and get an RV and run around and show the flick and do that. And then as far as Netflix, um, they just did a Netflix movie for Sandler. So there is a connection there. And then one of our buddies, investors flew, this is, you're gonna love this one, Chaz, the owner of HBO to where else? Hit Kelly Surf Ranch to teach a guy how to surf. And he, that guy who flew him there is an investor in our films. So we have those two headlights up in the sky, but we want to do it old school for a while. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, like showing Santa Cruz at La, 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 El La Palma down south. Heck yeah. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Wow. So, so, Sid, you went to uh, Surf Ranch, is that correct? Yeah, I, I went to Jeffrey's Bay in 1992. I've been there five times, <laughs> and I've served the equivalent of little over two years there. The first year I went was in 92. I got there at the 1st of May. Mike Tabling had the big White House with the white wall, and Derek Hine was building the room house with the Roman ruin there. And so they were both my buddies, so I'd sleep in either one, depends how the night ended, sort of. But two well, weeks, times in Bay. Yeah, two weeks into the trip, headlines, Tom Curran is coming to town. And I was in the water that day for search one when he caught that first wave. I was in the water, probably only like 10 or 15 of us. We had a high eight cassette player set up on the beach. The only other guy filming like a hundred yards up the point was Sonny Miller, right? That night, and Sonny's noticing that, hey, who are these clowns in and out surfing, filming? So we go to Rick's bar and I send Sonny a, a beer and he gave a stink eye and wouldn't take it because he was really, I think, pissed off that we were there with high eight cameras filming that ride too. So we have duplicate footage of the search. So, I mean, we became great friends, me and Sonny, he stayed at my house there and stuff. But for the first year, 
was the year Tom Curran showed up and it was remarkable. It was Tom, Frankie, I can't pronounce his last name, and uh, Derek Hine, they were the three Rip Girl guys. And I was riding Rip Girl wetsuits at the time, so it was pretty cool. What is a, what's a better way, Jeffrey's Bay or Kelly Slater's Surf Ranch? Probably Jeffrey's Bay, but... You had to pause. For me, it, well, I'm saying, minus the crowd, if you could just... And I'm not a, a 20, 10 foot, 20 foot guy. I'm like five or six foot is fine for me right now. Probably when I was younger, I was maybe an eight to 10 foot guy. But, you know, five to six foot is good enough for me. So if I could just have a five foot Jeffrey's Bay wave, I think I'd be really happy. If it was just what far des enough to run. Describe your experience. You surf Kelly's tub, right? Describe your experience there. What was that like for you? Well, it was very unique. I got a phone call April 2nd from a friend of mine um, who has a house in Newport. And he was going out there on his private jet for the WSL board of directors meeting. He rented the place out himself. A really great guy, Mike Anders, I'll say his name, great guy. And it was me, Jerry Kirby, who's building a couple of houses for him. They're building a new house in Barbados, right outside of soup bowls. It was me, Jerry Kirby. It was me and my wife's anniversary. And I asked, hey, could my wife come on the plane? He said, absolutely. And then we pushed another button. You think that some of the film crew could come? Absolutely. So two of the film crew guys came. So there's only like five of us on the plane. I've never been on a private jet before in my life. We landed like 20 minutes from the place. And then the rest of the film crew flew commercial into LA. Um, so we had all Monday night to ourselves. Eddie Vedder was supposed to show up. His daughter was there waiting for him. Daddy. Okay. Daddy. Yes. Okay. Because he's friend of Mike's. So that Monday night we're surfing. Who comes running in? And I was actually sitting in the hot tub, Chaz. Who comes running in and grabs me by the next Strider. <laughs> shows up. So Shrider's there, shit, what are you doing here? You know, like, I'm like, hey. And uh, so Eddie Vedder had played the night before in LA. And he was supposed to show up and surf for this Tuesday. This was Monday night we surfed. We had Monday night to ourselves, all day Tuesday to ourselves. The WSL board of directors meeting was Wednesday at the ranch. And we weren't. It, we weren't going through that gate, put it that way. <laughs> anyway, so the word got out, Eddie Vedder's daughter's there hanging out, and he got invited by Paul McCartney to play that night in LA. I guess Paul McCartney was in town. So Eddie Vedder didn't make it. Um, I was really nervous, like lights, camera, action, um, I've had double hip replacement. I was just about seven years old. I didn't run a, ride up. I rode a six, seven with some beef on it. I brought a six, three, but too few and too far between with the waves or, you know, experiment. So I rode the six, seven, which is a twins or Joey Thomas. And, um, first wave I think I flipped over and then I got a couple waves and then I requested can I go right only please and I just rode the rights and then the last wave of the night Monday night 
I got slammed right on the back of my head. And I was worried I was going to have a stiff night and not be there for Tuesday. But I came through. And I'm telling you, I really did wake up like it was Christmas morning, Tuesday. It was just us four guys. And then Mike brought in Tuesday um, four kids from Barbados. Brought in Josh Burke, who's on the QS. His brother, who made his own surfboard as a kid. And two girls who used to be pros or still pros, Molly and some other thing. So we had two groups of four. And that was it for the whole day. Oh, that yeah. is a, that's a dream, dream a, right there. It was a dream. It really was. And then um, I can't pronounce his name, Romana. Romana. Yeah, Von Bastulear. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, that guy showed up. And... Um, he kept yelling at me every time I was riding away, get down, get down, get down. That's all I kept hearing in the back of my head, just screaming at me. I'm there, I am down. I remember saying, dude, I am down. 70, I am down. I'm down. And then he wanted me to, because uh, Jerry Kirby, world famous sailor, Jerry's the man. Uh, Jerry, um, kept jumping off the uh, the ski. That's how he entered the wave. And he kept trying to get me to do that. I'm there, no, I'm paddling, I'm paddling. And I wouldn't do that. I paddled every wave. Amen. Amen, I wasn't gonna sell out. Stinking Raymonda tried to get me to hop off too. I didn't, I didn't do no jump off. I paddled every wave too, Sid. Brothers. <laughs> Power to the people. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, he was obsessed with me jumping off. <laughs> I mean, like, that Ramona, though, knows what he's talking about. I mean, yeah, yeah. he just wants people getting the <laughs> all their money's worth. Ramona is such a stinking legend. He is like, yeah. He's the heart yeah. and soul of that joint, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. And cannot speak. Like, I when I was there, I got to have a sit-down yeah, Ramon and I sat down and talked for a good 40 minutes, even about, about Beach Grid's coverage of Surf Ranch and all of it. And it's just beautiful. Like, he just understands everything. Where And, he, yeah, he keeps that thing working and makes it beautiful. Yeah, and it's funny. Um, Jerry Kirby, who came over with me, is a – you guys can look him up later – internationally known sailor. He won America's Cup around the world races, everything like that. And his son, son, excuse me, his son, Rome, was the head guy on the boat that won the last America's Cup. The foils that go like 60 miles an hour, full equipment and all that. And Ramana's into sailing. So he was talking to Jerry, naming all these sailors he's into. And he goes, and I really like that kid. Uh, Rome Kirby and Jerry's there. That's my son. <laughs> and from then on, those guys were joined at the hip. And to this day, they still talk. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. So um, Rome and uh, Kirby won the America's Cup together, huh? First father and son ever. Yeah, they're great sailors. Rome and Jerry Kirby. There's no joke, those guys. Are they from Rhode Island? Yeah, they're born in Newport. Okay. Yeah. Rhode Island is the home of the America's Cup, isn't it? Jerry will tell you, they didn't come from a rich, yachty family. Jerry's dad was an insurance agent. He just wanted to sail. And all the big money syndicates, where are you from, sir? Are you from New York Yacht Club? And Jerry said, no, my dad's an insurance guy. And Jerry became the top seller in the world. And then it's- That's awesome. It's totally awesome. Hey Sid, can you can you tell us about your um, your fight against um, I guess millionaires and billionaires to um, block access to the beach? Because that's a big yeah, deal. What happened was, what happened? Oh, is there what's what's in your cup? What do you got? Well, in the sixties, um, whenever we started surfing ruggles, it was already illegal. And what happened was, 
around 63, 64. No one was really surfing there. But this one guy happened to be out on a longboard and one guy was fishing. And of course they got entangled and the fisherman turned out to be the Newport chief of police. So he went to the city council and they outlawed surfing all around the points. Like from the corner of first beach, if you get ocean drive, basically outlawed all the point breaks with Ruggles being the main point break. So growing up, I mean, growing up, every time we paddled out, the cops would come and you'd have to walk in or some kids were scared and they paddled away. Well, 1971, I already had my driver's license and we were living at Ruggles. And I said, I'm not getting out of the water. So I stayed in the water, me and my brother, my younger brother, I had just turned 18. My brother was 16. One cop, two cop, three cops, four cops, five cops, full force up on the cliff. We come in and they finally arrested me instead of just saying, get out of here. I went to district court. I had an attorney. I went to district court. I was found guilty. Uh, my lawyer appealed to Superior Court. That took two months to go to that trial. Well, here comes the day of the trial. I go into the courthouse with my dad and my brother and my attorney comes up to me and says, I was taking taken off the case because his law firm handled all the land barons, estates, and he was just a beginner lawyer there. And he said, Sid, I'm sorry, you gotta have a public defender. I can't help you. So I'm there, what? And my dad got thrown out of the courthouse right there. They, my dad was Duke of Bruzy. They called him the Duke. He was a Duke too. And so my dad, my dad got booted out of the courthouse. We went upstairs to Superior Court and the judge you know, we all lined up and the judge read the ordinance and right away came down with the decision that the ordinance was against the law, blah, da, 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 da. And he threw it out. Now, fast forward, December 13th, 1971 will be 50 years of the legalization of that break. Well, that sort of didn't stop there. The, the estate on the point had a butler's house and their butler hated us. He hated the surfers with a passion. So every time he heard waves breaking, he'd take all these bottles and smash them on the street. So I'd be like one of the first guys every day to check the surf. And when you come down the street, the sun is rising right over, right over the cliff. And all you see is shimmering glass. So as you stop your car and you walk down the sidewalk about a hundred yards. Well, a week or two into that, the cops come up to me, come down the shop and said, hey, you guys get the place legal and you're down there partying, breaking bottles all over the place. And I said to the police officer, I said, sir, can you look at those bottles, please? It was like million dollar bottles of bourbon, champagne, everything that we certainly couldn't afford. And I said, it's coming right from the estate there. So that's a little side note. And then, and then you know, what, 45 years later, Hurricane Sandy shows up and the sidewalks cave in and all that stuff. And they had this master plan where they were gonna give $13 million to the town of Newport to build a jetty in front of Ruggles. And to build a jetty in front of Ruggles, they had to build two big runways so they could 
you know, drop the, the rock on with cranes. And the contract was signed and we stopped that. We stopped it. I had a whistleblower come in and said, Sid, you got to do something right now. And it actually became an international movement where we stopped uh, the, the, deconst the deconstruction of Ruggles. They were going to completely ruin the break. And that was, that was a big win right there. Big win. Holy shit! That'll all be that'll be all that'll all be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's like excited. Yeah, yeah the, the guy breaking the bottles was too much, man. I'd be checking the surf, and you hear a shotgun blast go off. You know, just anything to intimidate us. You know what I mean? Oh my goodness! And one that time, one time, one time, we're waiting. We're waiting to go to court. We kept surfing. We didn't care. We're waiting to go to court. A fishing boat crashes. We're on the water. We saved two guys, like five of us. They paddle in on our boards. Thank you. Thank you. We pull them up on the cliffs. The cops there, all oh, you guys beat it. They still threw us out of the water. <laughs> we saved two guys. So it was crazy. Holy shit. Crazy. What about, um, hey, Sid, there's another story that um, was in our, um, we had a story on Beach Creek the other day that Steve Reese wrote. And there's another, you had another kind of run in with um, Millionaire's Row, didn't you? Uh, yeah, there's Ruggles. Sandy was big. I don't know. I think those, that's it off the top of my head. Yeah. What's, um, so you, you, you've always been, I guess, a man of the people, not a man of uh, the Gilded Estates, haven't you? Yes, sir. Man of the people. And so um, so tell me why you've so far avoided the, the lure of um, stocking um, very sellable surfwear from the majors, Quicksilver and Billabong and so on. Um, well, you mean brand-wise? Yeah. Well... I don't know if I got your question right, but I mean, when we started out, um, we carried all the other brands, you know, not all of them, but we never carried Billabong because the bigger shops had Billabong. But we were, we went for the underground stuff. We were the first store to carry Volcom. We were the first store to carry Lost and then, you know, whatever, some underground scratcher brands, you know, and, um, you know, it, forever moms used to come in and ask for Billabong clothing and, or Quicksilver. And they, we would say, no, we don't carry it. And they wouldn't even give us a chance and look what we had on the rack. They just turn around and leave. And, um, around i would say we've always had our own t-shirts but around the mid 80s and then strong in the 90s we started identifying water brothers more as a brand and uh for the last i'd say 15 20 years uh fullcom was the last brand that we stopped carrying maybe 20 years ago and um, it's funny when all the pros come to town and a lot of them are my friends, they all have to go to the other shops, you know, like the big sports shop that sells now Volcom or Quicksilver or whatever. And they all sneak in our back door, you know, after the tour bus is down there signing autographs, they all get a ride up to Water Brothers and insist on paying full price for our merchandise and that's really helped us out like like dusty Payne and all those guys you know they're all on the volcom bus but you know they make sure they stop by water brothers and and, and support us and um that means a lot to me and um you know since then um especially this time at the holidays people come in exclusively looking for our stuff. And it was a long uphill battle, but you know, we did it. You don't sell online, do you? 
What's that? Do you sell online? Can people can people buy from outside of Rhode Island, or do you have to no. go into the shop? No, you have to call me up. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> What's your number, Sid? Um, eight four eight wave. <laughs> no, that's my surf report number nine 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 wave. <laughs> Who answered? Do you answer the oh, phone? The older, hey, by the way, guys, I do the oldest surf report. It's on a little old answer machine, and I go there every morning and oh, really? push the button, hold my finger down, and go. Hey, thanks for calling Water Brother Surf Report today. The waves are neat a thigh high. We're open from 9 30, 10 o'clock till four today. A lot of cool stuff in the shop. Stop on by. Oh, awesome. man. <laughs> I do that every day. I think I've done it for 40, 50 years. I'm going to start calling in just to hear your voice. And, and <laughs> people call in just uh, even if they don't surf, just because there's been some, there's been some pretty funny incidents on that surf report, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I quit drinking 10 years ago. 10 years ago, the surf report was a lot different, I think. <laughs> tell, me, tell, tell us one funny story about your surf report when you're on the drink. What's that? Tell us one funny story about you being on the drink and your surf report. Oh, my goodness. I think one time we kept the button on and we were arguing who was going to go to the liquor store. And it was like six in the morning. Yeah, I mean, just stuff like that, you know. But that was the best thing I ever did was, for me, is to stop. What about it you just think? carried on. It carried on to the next day. And then I've been married for uh, nine years. Ooh. How do you keep the magic alive? Yeah, I, lived, I got married at uh, 60 years old, 61. Wow. How did, you, yeah. how did, the, how did the woman finally, um, did you chase her? Did she chase you? Um, we were at, I did this crazy thing, you guys. Um, I did surf fest. You got to come out to the next one. Um, it was the biggest surfboard show. Dick Meserol, the East Coast photographer said in the world. Um, I happened to, uh, be at the shop one day and a friend of mine called me up and the Doris Duke mansion is in Newport, the famed Doris Duke. And, uh, you know, she has Shangri-La and Hawaii and all that. But she has the rough, her state is called Rough Point. And they flew her Velzi over from Hawaii. And they asked me to stand in front of her Velzi when guests came into the house for one night and talk about Doris Duke and surfing. And I didn't know anything about her surfing. I know that she went out with Sam Kawanamoko, Duke's brother, because there's pictures of them and stuff. But I knew none of that. So I said to him, listen, wouldn't it be cool if I brought more than one surfboard here instead of hers? And hers was a redone Velzy. Was a Velzy that, oh my goodness, guys. You should have seen the box they sent that over in Hawaii from. It was a coffin. I, I, I wish I, I would die in that coffin. It was like <laughs> you could have dropped it from a plane and not, it wouldn't have done. I mean, I never, they go, here's Doris Duke's surfboard box. I mean, you're kidding me. But, but anyway, so I, they said, that sounds good. What do you have in mind? Where would you put it? And they have these beautiful lawn right on the ocean. I said, all on the cliff, right here. Well, the first year, we had 800 surfboards, all word of mouth. I was the curator. I picked them all. Like, yeah, that's good enough. No tail. I don't care. Is it cool? It's cool. Bring it in. Right? We had, we had all the surfboards. Everybody sort of dressed up. We had bars, floating bars, and... Uh, not food trucks, but, you know, taco stands and stuff like that. The Doris Duke's house, by the way, front page on GQ. <laughs> without me knowing, without telling me they did that. The second year, they liked it so much at the Doris Duke place. Let's do it two nights. Oh, by the way, they kept all the money. Um, let's do it two nights. 
the second night, a thousand people each night, 800 to 900 surfboards, like 15 bucks, you tore her estate, everything was great. It was just too much, no more parking, nothing. The third year, where do you want to do this? Because Doris Duke's out of the question. Well, we had been renting from the International Tennis Hall of Fame. I put 1,000 surfboards on the Tennis Hall of Fame center court grass where everybody gets inducted to the Tennis Hall of Fame. Chris Everett, Jimmy Connors, McEnroe, Rod Laver, all of them. I made that a surf shop. We had, <laughs> we had a thousand surfboards. There's great pictures of that. Thousand surfboards, food stands and everything. That was great. It was like, that was great. And then, you know, the way, the way it just got a little pricey there. And then the last two years I did it, I did it where they have the Newport Folk Festival, Fort Adams. And I brought in a couple skateboard ramps. I had a rock band. I brought in my buddies, Rat Boy. Uh, you know, uh, Tony Alva came. Uh, Peter Townend, of course, Kavita Townend came. Um, Kalani Rob, all these guys heard about it. They came on their own time. Uh, Greg Lore came. And uh, we did that two years there. And then I, I took a year off. And then I had double hip surgeries the next two summers and then COVID. So we're due for one. Oh, my goodness. So last question here, Sid. Are you hopeful for the future of surf or are you pessimistic? Do you feel depressive or antidepressive? I'll tell you, some days leaving the beach break, you're not stoked. I mean, it's not like every time you come in, you're stoked. The crowds are insane. At our, we're a small island with two coves. It's not like Florida with a 50 mile strip. We have two coves and I'm, I'm not optimistic. I, I don't know how things are going to change. I'm hoping, because I've been through so many of these, but this is the worst. In the 60s, million people in the water, all sitting there on longboards. Was it Vietnam? Was it the, rebel, the short board? Something made all those people quit. And it was down to a handful again. And then we rebuilt, you know, the surfboard scene again with the shortboards and stuff. Right now, because of COVID, I think this group of people, I don't think they're gonna quit, which is, you know, hey, everybody has a right to surf and have fun. But when the crowds are downright dangerous at times, something has to be thought out a little bit. Especially in our area. What do you think, Chaz? You know, I mean, I think I think Sidarusi is the voice of the people, and it's time for a revolution, a grumpy local revolution. Yeah. Call them out. Yeah, you know, it's it's you know, it's like now you sort of gotta do it behind a curtain, like the great wizard of ours, you know what I mean? And honor here. <laughs> you know, like the Wizard of Oz would be like, what, what? But uh, I don't know, man. It's, and they, they're spreading to the points. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I've never seen it like this in my life. Jesus. Never. Well, that's cheery nut. Uh, thanks for the chat, Sid. Thanks, Sid. Yeah, I love you guys. I really do. I watch Coming everything. Out. You guys all the time i'm coming out to water brothers to buy merch yes you are <laughs> i sure am I'll be out there in the winter 
soon as we get some um, ideas on the movie, like an idea when we're wrapping it up and all that, I'm going to reach out to you guys. And then um, the year after the movie's done, we're going to do a surf fest right on the right where the Newport Folk Festival is. Uh, oh, yeah. We'll we're there. Derek will be free from his tyrannical government at that point. <laughs> we're going to we're going to fly you guys in part of the part of the trip. Anybody's private jet. That's a that's a thumbs up on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks. Sid. Dan, love okay. you, Sid. Love you guys. Thanks, man. Don't go changing. I love you just the way you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sid. Later. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.